Yeah, you can welcome Tim or just applaud Fresh Fruits. Elizabeth, I know, is going to make her way up here in a moment, but I wanted to just read y'all something because they asked me to just share kind of on First Fruits a little bit, and this is what felt like the Lord was sharing with me. If you don't know the story of Nehemiah, check it out. It's in here. Um, it's in your Bible, too. Um, and in Nehemiah, basically, he's sad because Jerusalem's basically ruins. The wall's torn down. There's no defense. So he manages to build it up despite nasty emails. I feel you, brother. Um, and then they, they gather all the people, and they're kind of set, and it's a little bit like, well, what do we do next? The Levites, the priests start getting up, and they start making declarations of, now that things are where we need them to be, we need to consecrate ourselves for where we want to go. And so they start speaking about all the things we as a people, and they so, I mean, in uh, Nehemiah 10.34, it says, we, the priests, the Levites, and the people have cast lots to determine what each of our families is to bring to the house of God at set times each year, a contribution of wood to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as is written in the law. So they're just saying, they're reminding themselves of the laws, of the truths. And I want you to hear some of this. We also assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crop and every fruit tree. Then it goes on. Moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of our God, to the priests, the first of our ground meal, of our grain offerings, of the fruit of all our trees, and of our new wine and olive oil. And we will bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites, for it's the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work. And at the end of this, they say, we will not neglect the house of our God. And from that, all of a sudden, new residents of Jerusalem show up. Yeah, yeah. And, and I just want to share on this, if you're not familiar with this concept of first fruits, it's really just sowing in at the beginning of the year to just, it's like this big tithe overflowing so that you can declare over your year you're going to live in abundance. And I just, I have this feeling I, from Holy Spirit that there's probably some people in here that maybe you struggle with things like this, you hate when we talk about tithing or money or anything like that. And... Tim's going to do something in a second, and when we get these cards out here, I, I want to say to you that there were people in here, if you read further in the book, there were people who struggled too. And one of the things they did to help with that is they made themselves accountable unto the Lord, but they also asked the person next to them. And when Bethany and I started getting serious about tithing first fruits, we started writing things in a book, and we would both look at it. I'm looking for my wife. I don't know where she went. Oh, there she is, front row. Uh, hi. You put on a coat. I was looking for your blue shirt. There we go. So sometimes we're in a squeeze, but we're like, we still have first fruits we want to give. So I show Bethany. I say, twist my arm and make me. It's okay. But the, the point is, I feel like there may be somebody in here that's like, I want to live in this abundance, but God, help me be pushed. Grab somebody and help yourself be pushed. All right? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. All right. Awesome. So... What Chris was sharing about is, here, I'm going to hand this to you, Chris, is um, we just feel as a leadership that there's actually a specific first fruits that we're to do for the decade and for this year. And it's actually, we feel like the Lord has told us that this is a year that we're going to pay off the building, this building. And so, but with that, it's going to require us as a people to see the vision. And, and really, honestly, it's a debt-free idea. This is the only building on campus that we owe any money on. And I just want to tell you the amazing thing is we actually only owe a little over $100,000 for this building, which is incredible. 
um, because we've been we've been very diligent to make extra payments and just be pouring in, and we get a little extra money, make it towards that principle. I mean, you know that that idea, right? But we feel like the Lord has told us that it's a, it's a year, actually 2021 is a year that we need to sow into people, and so it's time to quit sowing into buildings. And so we can have that money free to do what we want, what we need to do, and what God is going to provide, because we feel like this is a year of growth, and how many know if you have growth, then you have to have people that come along to, to uh, help people mature and grow and see what God wants to do. And so we just feel like this is a year and this is not something we're only asking you to do. We're all participating. Um, I have a specific number in my heart that I feel like the Lord has said. And we're trying to pay for college. Any of you there? And I was like, God, that, that could affect our college idea. And he said, no, it's going to cause it to happen. You sow into this, I'm going to make college happen. And so uh, we're just, we feel like, so if the deacons would just be ready, what we have, have some cards because some of this is the idea of first fruit. Some, sometimes gets put right in the first of the year, but you can do first fruits in the first of the month, all kinds of things. So really we're just looking for, to see if there's anyone in anyone's heart to begin to, so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you just want to pray about what you want to sow into this year, into the building, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. We're going to have a card for you. Just raise them up. Deacons, be ready. There we go. I'm, and I, I'm just going to say this, and we're going we're gonna to keep you up to date, and we're going to celebrate when this thing is paid off. It doesn't mean we're going to stop making payments or anything. We believe that this is a year to do this. And uh, y'all know that in the, in the last eight years of, of just as we've been leading the church, we, we've never really done a financial push for anything and God has been super faithful with the finances. But I also feel like the Lord told me that this is a year of double generosity. And, and that in order to sow into that and to get into that, we have to begin to, to even open our doors more and be more generous. And then the generosity of the Lord. Keith's over here. Keith's waving. Run, Bill. All right. Y'all good on that? How's everybody's heart on that? Y'all good on that? All right, because sometimes we talk about money, like, don't only ask him for money. No, we're not asking for your money. We're asking for your engagement. And that's really what I feel like I'm going to talk about here for a minute, and not today. We're going we're gonna to present this for the next few weeks, and then at the end of the month, we're actually going to take an offering. And I'm believing that we're going to be surprised how much is in that off- offering. So... Uh, so you can either do it monthly or a one-time gift or however you want to do that, but just just pray about it. I know the Lord knows exactly what He wants you to give. So here's what we're going to do. Elizabeth actually is going to do most of the preaching today. Uh, I just want to talk about the idea of vision for just a second, um, because if, without vision, the people perish. That's what it says in Proverbs, right? And uh, the first of the year is oftentimes about vision. And then I have a friend in Belgium who sent me this, this email. He said, it's tw- he's an eye doctor and he's a pastor. And he said, it's 2020. It's my highlighted year. <laughs> and he said, 2020 means, he goes, I make people have 2020 all the time so that they can see better. And he said, so 2020 is a year of seeing better. And I just believe that. And how many know that vision is so important and what God is doing. And I just want to give you an example of that. It says in Second Kings 
2, 9 through 11, it says, When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, you all know our context here, Elisha's been serving Elijah, and it's time for Elijah to go to heaven. And Elisha is ready. And, and, Elijah, and Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me what I can do for you before I am taken from you. Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. Great answer. Great answer. And, and Elijah said, you have asked a difficult thing. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise not. And I felt like the Lord just wanted me to just say this about vision. Because so, sometimes it can be a very hype thing or it can just be something we just talk about as the first of the year. But I want to tell you, what you see will be what you walk in in the next season. What you see. And basically what Elijah was saying is, I can't give you what you've asked without the Lord showing up. But if you see me, there's going to be, an imp- there's going to be a stirring up, because why? What's going to happen? The horses and the chariots of Israel are going to come down like a whirlwind, and they're going to take you up. Listen, it wasn't some special formula. It was faith that grew in Elisha, that when he saw the act of God to take Elijah home, it increased his faith. It increased it more than he had ever seen before. And what did he do? He did a double portion of everything that Elijah ever did. It was not a special formula. It was the place of what he had seen caused him to walk into his next season. Amen? And I want to tell you what we're about to cast to you over the next few weeks and maybe even months of vision for a, for a year and for a decade is to actually cause you to walk in double portion. Some of what we're going to talk about is vision for the church. Some of it is applicable vision for your life. Some of it is is for your family. We just want to encourage you, what you see, you will get to walk in double portion. And I love it. Elijah's like the father. What can I do for you? Oftentimes, vision is just having some conversation with the father. Because the Father wants to tell you exactly what He wants to give you. And this morning, He's given us more of His Holy Spirit, right? So here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this in just a few minutes. I just want to talk about the piece of vision, about the idea of engagement. Because I felt like the Lord spoke to me, actually spoke this to me in September, and has made me sit on it this whole time, that the place of uh, the vision and the idea of engagement in what God is doing Total engagement. I, I thought of the, the example. How many have ever driven a stick shift? Thank you, God. Everyone under 18 is like, what? What's that? <laughs> you know, well, my first car, I, I was blessed to have a 64 and a half Ford Mustang that my parents gave me. And it sounds awesome until you realize it was 35 years old. Um, and it had this place where you thought you were in gear. Gary, you know what I'm talking about? And when you would let out, it would rev up and make all this noise, but you didn't go forward. (laughs) But there was this magical moment when you would engage into first gear. As a 16-year-old, I could make those tires smoke for like 100 yards. Fire coming off that thing. The first six months, I told my parents, I need a new set of tires. They said, why? I was like, I don't know. They just went bald. And they said, you'll be buying your own tires. 
Why? Because there's a place of engagement that takes you somewhere. An engagement in what God is doing in your life. An engagement is what He's doing in our community. An engagement for winning a city. Y'all are going to hear me talk so much in the next few weeks and months about winning a city. Because I want to put it in front of you that God is looking to win cities. And if we don't have that vision, we'll live small. And so this place of being engaged, y'all all all know that our mission statement is we are a transformed people equipped to transform our world, right? The, the, the overflow of that or the, what results out of that is actually engagement because out of your transformation, you begin to engage. I'm going to say that again. Out of your transformation is where you begin to engage. If you're not transformed in an area, the idea of engaging there looks impossible. Like, like if you haven't been transformed in certain areas and God tells you a leader, I mean, he's like, I'm not a leader. Look at that area of my life. But the, as God begins to transform you, what begins to happen begins to become a reality in your life. And the overflow of transformation is then you engage into your purpose. You engage into your destiny. And there is an engagement that God is calling us to. And, and, and Elizabeth's going to actually touch on the engagement of, of community and connection here in just a second. But I want to just tell you the Hebrew definition of what it means to be engaged. Because sometimes I think when we talk about in, like being engaged, it's like, well, I attend. And, and I'm going to tell you the days of, of just attending here... And even I want to say in the body of Christ as a whole, is not God's heart. He's looking for more than attenders. He's looking for people who realize that they're carrying the train of His temple. How about that word this morning? They're carrying His victories. They're carrying your breakthroughs. You carry them and your transformation. You get to give it away over and over. And the Hebrew word that is to be transformed I mean, to be engaged actually means to be braided together. Now, I don't know much about braiding hair. This is about as long as my hair has ever been in my life. But I've watched people braid hair. And it takes a mixing. You can braid in ribbons. You can braid in all things. But it is a mixing and a combining of things. It is a gathering together and saying, I'm with you and you're with me. It is an engagement. that me- The other way it means, it means to give. That's why we're, we actually are responding to this word of engagement by, by saying, hey, we're going to even give more. Because it's part of engagement is to give. It also, and this is the one that blew my mind, means to be present or occupy. To engage means to be present. How many of you want to not just be somewhere, but you want to be present in it? You want to be totally immersed. And man, when people are like, do you feel God in the room? Like, yes, I do. I, and I, I know what he's doing, and I'm excited. Listen, it's for all of us in the room to know what he's doing. It's not like we're going to break down any kind of thing like, well, we have these people here and these people here. That's ridiculous. It's God's people knowing what's going on, being present in his presence. Being present in his presence. Instead of being like, yeah, that was nice, his presence today. Like, no, we were with God. And the last thing it can be translated is means to be devoted. 
to be devoted to. And there's a scripture where it's talking about how God is going to raise up a new leader in Jeremiah. And it says this, it says that his heart will be engaged to me. And that says that in the King James. Y'all know that's a miracle if I'm quoting King James up here. But it, it means his heart will be in complete devotion. It will be engaged to what I'm doing. And he will know what I'm doing and he will lead us. And then later on, two verses later, I'll just tell you this. It says, God says, and then I will bring my purpose to pass. Why? Because he's looking for an engaged people who will engage to his heart and then he'll bring his purpose to pass. Why? He's looking for engagement because out of engagement, purpose is carried. His purpose has never been fulfilled without a people who said yes. Including Mary. Be it unto me. So, I just I feel like that's a, such a vision casting, and we're going to get a lot into engagement, what it looks like to be engaged. To be engaged, I, I wrote down three things. I feel like the Lord actually gave me a dream in September about engagement. It was a pyramid, and it was three side. It had three things written on it. On three each side, it said that we need to learn how to be and make disciples again. Part of being engaged is being a disciple and making disciples. And if you immediately, I want to tear down the idea that that's not you. That is you. If you're here, you're a disciple. And you're made to make disciples. And so that's part of, 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 of being engaged. The other one is serving and giving. And that has, oh, so many of you are serving and giving. But there's some of you that just say, I don't know where I fit. I don't know what to give in. And we just want to tell you to pour out and serve and give. And we'll find you places to come and serve and give. And the last one is connection and community. And Elizabeth's going to come and share on that right now. Did I get it? Yeah, I'm on. How about that? <laughs> this pack is much lumpier than my monitor pack, so just pray my skirt stays on. <laughs> just kidding. It will. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yes. Are we engaging? That is God's heart, and I feel like he's going to bring a lot of revelation to us about engagement in these next few months. Um, But what I felt the Lord was speaking to me most of last year as well. It's really interesting that this is the time that he's bringing this out, but um, I'm super excited about it because January really is an important month in everything, in everything we do. I mean, how many of you have made New Year's resolutions? I'm just curious. A few, okay. The few of you, the rest of you, I bet, are at least thinking about them, or you're hearing about them. It's just that time of year where we think about our lives, we think about what it is, you know, that we should be doing. Um, But I feel like God has something for us in this new decade, and so uh, He's been mulling some things around in me about this. Uh, But engagement uh, is community together. And, you know, there's uh, a scripture in 1 John 1, uh, and it says, if we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. It's very simple, but John said, I I think the way he worded it, it just was kind of a given. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another. How many of you walk in the light? We have fellowship with one another. I think that's because we are God's family, right? I don't have time to get into all those scriptures, but you know they're in there, how we are the body of Christ, right? 
Okay. One body, many members. All right. I want to get into that word for a minute because um, fellowship is a Christianese word. Uh, you know, if we walk out on the street and say to someone that we want to fellowship with them, they, they'd look at you kind of funny, wouldn't they? We just don't use that word uh, outside of the church very much. Uh, and that's okay. Uh, but I want to just define it in the Greek because, you know, I've grown up in the church, Tim has too, and it's one of those words, koinonia, that got tossed around a lot, so much that we stopped using it because it was trite. Every small group was called koinonia. Every, every uh, potluck dinner was called koinonia, you know, and it just been like, you know, I mean, really, that's how it felt. But koinonia is actually a very powerful word, and I feel like this year that God is going to bring it to life for us again, especially those young ones that maybe weren't in those decades where we were kind of uh, drowning in koinonia, in the term. Here's the issue. When you hear the word, it's so cool. It means partnership, participation, and community. That's the Greek word for koinonia, which is translated fellowship almost everywhere in the New Testament. Partnership, participation, and community. I mean, those are good words, right? Yeah, so we don't want to become trite with a word like fellowship or koinonia when it actually has real meaning. We are going to revisit this. We're going to re-engage with koinonia. So stick with me. If you're already scared, just stick with me for a minute. (laughs) I really want to look past personalities. Am I moving around? I want to look past because here's another thing that I I see a lot in the body of Christ is uh, we have a group of people that are very excited about being together outside of this meeting. And typically they're extroverts, social butterflies, and people that like to talk a lot. (laughs) You know who you are. I'm just kidding. I think I might lose this mic. I'm not sure what's happening, but we'll, we'll see. Right? Yes. There are a lot more personalities out there. All right. I'll come back to that. I'm going to revisit that. Permission to revisit. Okay? Let me just hit this. The very first time koinonia is used in the New Testament is actually Acts 2. It is right on the back of Pentecost. All right? Chapter 2, right? Holy Spirit comes upon them. Tongues of fire. They speak in other tongues. At verse 41, it says, and 3,000 were added to the church that day, right? Verse 42, here we go. Can I get that up there, Acts 2, 42? Did we give that one to you? Okay, good, because I don't have it. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. That was the very next thing that happened after the Holy Spirit encountered them. And I think that there is a pattern here for us to be uh, searching into and to pray into. This is the one that I've been mulling over for quite a few months, actually, is that when we are encountered, we begin to transform, right? Transform people. But it comes out of encounter, yes? We don't wake up transformed one morning. I wish we did. But it has to be an agreement with our, our self here, Right? that God meets with us. So we're having an encounter. We invite transformation into our lives. What happens on the day of Pentecost? They devote themselves to these four things. Here you are. Good job. 
you're devoting yourself. I don't know if this is much of a teaching, but welcome. <laughs> All right, the next thing, fellowship. And that's the one I'm going to hit today. Breaking of bread, which is very interesting to me, too. We were having this discussion, whether it was spiritual implication or just eating at people's homes. Uh, but anyway, that's another story. But, and then to prayer, which I'm really excited about this prayer meeting. I'm sorry. I'm having to adjust the mic because it's moving. Sorry. Uh, I'm excited about the prayer meeting that we're going to have this month because uh, we, we really feel like that the Lord is asking us to increase our prayer as a body. So we're offering it to you guys as an invitation because it's one of the things here on this short list. But let me, let me just sit in fellowship because we are not doing good on time at all. Um, so <laughs> fellowship, that's that koinonia word. They devoted themselves to it. Now, obviously, in this time, in Jesus's time, uh, community was made way easier to develop. I mean, it was communal. I mean, if you walk everywhere, you don't live in New Braunfels and come to church in San Marcos, right? I mean, it just doesn't work that way. So I feel like that, that was a, it was a supernatural overflow of what was happening. They begin to share life together in a very unique way. Now, the difference for us today, and this is not an excuse, but we, we have cars. We have to drive long distances sometimes to get places. But all the more reason to be devoted and intentional. And I think that that's kind of where we've gone, you know, kind of sideways a little bit with this thing, this whole thing of community. We're busy. We have things to do. We have lives. We have other, you know, other events. Our kids are in sports, whatever, right? And so what's happened is we've kind of unraveled this tight-knit idea of church community. But here's what I feel is very important for us as believers if the early church did it, I feel like we've got to live there too, to devote ourselves. It's an intentionality piece. And so I'm, I'm going to give you the why in a minute, all right? We're getting there. So, but I want to start with what fellowship is not, what koinonia is not. Because again, we're, wanna, we're wanting to revisit some of these words like engagement and community. We want to revisit them, fellowship, because they were overused. There's a season where they were overused, and, um, you know, we, we kind of all just checked out. Right? Okay, just making sure. All right. I said it earlier. Fellowship is not a time in a circle with all extroverts, social butterflies, and, you know, the detail-oriented people. I'm not a detail-oriented woman. I know a lot of ladies are, but I'm not. I, I don't want to sit around and chat, chat and hear everything about your vacation. I want to know where you went, if you had a good time. Cool. Move on. <laughs> yeah. Beth was like. <laughs> it's not that all the time. Here's what fellowship is not, number two, is having to be best friends with everyone. I want to undo that because... I, I think that in church world, we feel this odd pressure. Do I say, am I saying feel a lot? I feel like I am. <laughs> There's this strange false sense of pressure that we have to be best friends with everyone. That's what it means. Koinonia means we have to be best friends with everyone. No, it doesn't. Because there's another scripture that I don't have time to visit, but remember that there's a wall 
right? And we're all stones in the wall. There's no way that this stone over here can touch this one over here. It's impossible. We are connected as a stone wall, but you don't have to be best friends with that, that stone over there, all right? I want to just let you off the hook for that. I want to, I just want to read this. So uh, we had uh, a friend of ours uh, from Belgium with us. You guys probably saw her last Sunday if you were here. Um, uh, From the mission trips that we've been on in Belgium, she is a student at BSSM in Reading, and uh, she wasn't able to go home, so we invited her here for Christmas. But uh, on the way to the airport, actually, we began talking about uh, cultures the difference between Belgium uh, and American culture, um, which I think is very applicable to what uh, the kingdom of God should look like. And here's why I'm moving fast because of time. But um, here's how it is in Belgium. When you're invited into people's homes or they ask you to hang out, it's a very big deal. What that communicates is, hey, I want to invest in this relationship and build something with you. It's really easy to discern who your friends are and who your acquaintances are. I personally appreciate the heart of that and the authenticity that comes with building relationships slowly because it produces actual fruit. That's how Belgians do it. They, they, they build trust between each other. All right, so in her experience in America, everything th- seems to go at a really fast pace. It's not uncommon for complete strangers who met each other once at a social event to casually hang out. Everyone seems to be friends with everyone. Yet often when people claim to be friends, they hold each other at arm's length because the relationship hasn't had enough time to develop. This has the potential to become superficial or confusing when it comes to building connection. Logical, right? Expensive words get thrown around, such as, I love you. You're the absolute best. You're my best friend. And so on. Yet there is little to none investment in the relationship between the two people. So the actual weight these statements once carry disappear, and both people are left confused. Suddenly, it doesn't mean anything when someone says, Hey, whatever you need, call me. Anytime. Neither know how genuine or authentic the love that is expressed is. People get defensive and feel alone and no longer genuinely trust people because words become cheap. We need to undo that fear, is it? I'm not sure, but we think we have to be best friends with everyone. It's not possible, and it's okay. All right? There is connection to be had in this house with people around you, but it may not be everyone. Here's another thing that fellowship is not. Guilt-tripping people into serving or being uh, at something. If you feel guilt from, uh, guilt from us or, or from anyone, please let me know because I'm not okay with that. Now, conviction, on the other hand, is by the Holy Spirit. And if Holy Spirit is pressing on you that you should engage in a different way, then respond and we'll walk you through that. But guilt-tripping people is not okay. That is not the family of God. and So fellowship and koinonia is not that. All right? I have felt that before. (laughs) I have felt it before. I understand how it feels. It's not good. All right, what fellowship is not? Forcing people to open up and be vulnerable. You know, vulnerable vulnerability is a very, very trendy word right now. In Christianese, but also in just the world. 
It's very interesting. Brene Brown is the one that's really coined uh, the definition of it, which is different than the dictionary definition of it, and I think that it's kind of gotten all slurred around everywhere. It's a very powerful word that has become slightly trite already in the last five to seven years. Vulnerability is a very dangerous thing. Let me, I'm going to read something. First of all, I want to tell you what her definition of it is. I define vulnerability as uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. If you feel vulnerable in a situation, you feel uncertain, there's a risk involved. Her, uh, I haven't read all her books cover to cover, please, but I'm just telling you where this came from, all right? And her, it's very inspiring because it's like when you feel fear, when you feel risk, when you feel those things, if you can push past those, then you can step into breakthrough, all right? Which is powerful. Here's what I believe. I believe that vulnerability needs context. And I am asking you, please do not throw that word around with people that do not know what you are saying. In the church, too, okay? If, if you want to use the word, give it context, because it is a very powerful word. And some people are afraid of it. Some people really want it, all right? And that's what I feel I've seen. It's very dangerous. I want to read something that Brene wrote, because that's kind of, you know, I feel like that's who's been stirring that pot for for the last few years, and I love that. I love that it's happening, but I want to read something to you um, that what vulnerability is not. All right? You guys with me? We're still on the knots. Jesus, help us. (sighs) Vulnerability is based on mutuality and requires boundaries and trust. It's not oversharing. It's not purging. It's not indiscriminate disclosure. And it is not celebrity-style social media information dumps. Vulnerability is about sharing our feelings and our experiences with people who have earned the right to hear them. Being vulnerable and open is mutual and an integral part of the trust-building process. We cannot always have guarantees in place before we risk sharing. Certainly not. We love, right? (laughs) However, we don't bear our souls the first time we meet someone. We don't lead with, hi, my name is Brene, and here's my darkest struggle. That's not vulnerability. That may be desperation, woundedness, or even attention-seeking, but it is not vulnerability. Why? Because sharing appropriately with boundaries means sharing with people with whom we've developed relationships that can bear the weight of our story. The results of this mutual, I'm sorry, the result of this mutually respectful vulnerability is increased connection, trust, and engagement. That sounds good, right? Not so scary when it's said that way. Vulnerability without boundaries leads to disconnection, distrust, and disengagement. In fact, boundaryless disclosure is one way we protect ourselves from real vulnerability. It's powerful stuff, right? I'm going to just leave that right there because I don't have time to go any farther into that. But but let me tell you that fellowship and koinonia is not forcing people to be open and be vulnerable. There are boundaries involved with that. And there's safe places. Okay. I wish I had time to talk about CR because we really enjoyed our time on Friday night. We got to be in there, celebrate the one-year anniversary. (laughs) 
That is a safe place. And they allow it to be safe. They don't make anybody share. They don't make anybody do anything, in fact. They really celebrate that, and I love, love, love that. It was very safe. And I want to say good job. Good job on that. All right, so it was for freedom that Christ set us free, right? So we, are, we, we aren't going to guilt treat people. We aren't going to force people to do anything. All right, so what does koinonia actually produce? Why is it beneficial for us? I can do this. I can do this. <laughs> I'm not going to tell you what it is, and here's why. I don't want to tell you what koinonia looks like or what it is because I believe that's within every one of you. Some of you want to get down and dirty and sit in a group and tell everything you got going on, and you, that, yay. But some of you may not. And, I, you know, Keith and Lisa did a great job. We did that dinner for six twice last year. I thought that was a really good place that people could just come. You didn't have to bear your soul there. You know, you could just eat some chicken, you know, and talk about the weather, right? It, it, it was a safe place. See, see, koinonia can look like a lot of different things. And I want to encourage you, even as I'm speaking uh, towards the end here, we want to we talk about this a little bit because um, what I ta- want you to take away is things in, just in your head and in your spirit that you're thinking about. Okay, what does it look like for me? Where can I fit in that? And what do I, I really want and need? Because remember that we must be intentional with this. And I feel like... There, I say it again. I keep saying, feel like. You know, I mean, we, we sit around in this office and we think about ways to get you guys to engage. We think about things that you might like to do or, you know, places that, you know, you'll, you'd enjoy and places that we grow. I feel like we're, we're kind of hitting our stride with the ladies' ministry. We have a tea party that everyone really, really loves and the ladies' retreat that people love, but that's it. I mean, like, we tried a hundred other things and they just didn't work, you know, and that's okay. I'm totally okay with that. But I think that if we can get the revelation of koinonia, if we can get the revelation of that, this is not an optional thing. It's not something that we've got to, you know, if we have some leftover time, we'll work it in. And I think that's been our hardest issue to deal with, is that, okay, I've got a really full schedule. I will make Sunday mornings for you, Jesus. And, and way to go. I mean, it's on the list. Way to go. <laughs> But let's talk about the other things on the list, that maybe that there's a piece that we need. All right, so let me tell you what it produces. Dang it. <laughs> I just want to run th- this. I think this is going to be really quick anyways. Philippians 1. So this is what the Lord began to speak to me about four or five months ago. I don't remember. Because I was just talking, tell me, God, what does it look like? How can we offer community to people? How can we offer places you know, of engagement to people that, that they're like, I can do that. I want that. So here's what he spoke to me. Um, there, are, there, there are some things that Paul was going through as he was talking to the church at Philippi. And the first one is just in verse 6, Philippians 1, 6. He said this, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let me tell you what, so you, hang on. I'm sorry, I've got to read verse 5 to get the context. I'm rushing. Forgive me. Philippians uh, 1.5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So he's establishing, that's where I, I got this. He's establishing that word partnership is koinonia. All right? Because of your koinonia in the gospel from the first day until now. Next verse. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Here's what I believe koinonia produces first, is partners who believe in you. 
Paul said, we're, we're in partnership with the gospel, and I'm confident that Jesus will finish what he started in you. Paul was believing in them, right? I don't have time to go into any other scriptures about it. But let me tell you, there are times in our lives where we need partners who believe in us. You know, I, I can think about uh, more than 10 years ago, we had a couple that lived here that used to invite us over like all the time. And I was like, oh, I don't like to conversate very much. But they, they, they kept inviting us. And so we obligatorily, is that a word? I don't know. We went. We went, and then we went a couple more times, and then our kids played together in the pool, and then we were like, okay, I like these people, right? But what happened was, that's a really short version, because <laughs> I got two minutes. What happened was, they, they pursued us. They kept pursuing. They just kept asking, and, and we found out now, they live in Ohio now. We've been there several times, each of us separately speaking at conferences. We were there together, July speaking at conference. We shared life together is what happened, but they just kept asking us. And I discovered I liked them. We were friends. All right, let me give you another example. Now, this last year, I have been pursuing some people myself. One particularly, not in this church, but um, that we are uh, both leaders and it's just, we have commonalities. You know what I mean? Pursuing. But I've been doing all the pursuing. I kind of got frustrated about it. <laughs> it's like, ugh, I'm, doing, I'm, the, I'm always the one. That text, I'm always the one that asks, I'm always the one. But that's okay. Because sometimes in our lives, we need people like that, that pursue us. And sometimes we need to be the ones that pursue. All right? I'm going to leave it with that. Partners who believe in you. All right? Next one. Partners who share in your trouble and see God's grace. Look at verse 7. He says, whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Partners who share in your troubles and see God's grace. And there's one thing that God spoke to me. It was just so specific this morning when I woke up. He was talking about this point, and he said, I want you to tell them that there are people that want to help you see my grace and my joy. And you know that joy, one of the main definitions, Greek definitions of it is, is joy. I didn't even know that. But there's a joy to be had when we are in trouble, when we going through trouble. I mean, we're probably in trouble too, but you know, when we're going through troubles, that we need someone around us, right? Partners who share in your trouble. I just don't have time. We may have to revisit some of these because I want, I want you to feel inspired by what Koinonia produces. Okay, so I don't really have time probably to inspire you very much, but, <laughs> but I want to get there. I'm trying. Okay, number three, partners who pray. Listen to verse nine. One of the most amazing prayers in all of the New Testament, Paul prayed. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. I don't have time to read it all. You can go home and read it. Please do. But partners who pray. Someone in your, uh, in your life that wants to pray with you. They would probably be found in this room. I doubt your postman would want to pray with you. Right? I mean, maybe you have a really, really good neighbor. But in this room, you have people that want to pray with you. All right, that's good on that one. Number four, partners who inspire you. Listen to this in verse 14. Because of my chains, Paul said, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Because of my chains. 
Whew. I want to be around people that inspire me, but I also want to inspire people. That may be the crap that I've been through. would cause you to become more confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. I can tell you about fear. And I can tell you that Jesus has set me free from fear. All right. I, I, okay, we're over. I have two points. I have two more, all right? I'm going to spare you all the examples, but they're good. <laughs> Uh, number five, partners who stay with you. Listen to this. In verse, um, it's really 22 through 25, but let me just read verse 25. He, Paul is trying to decide if it's better for him to be in heaven or to stay with them. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever had that conversation. I don't know if I should go on up to heaven or help these people. <laughs> Sheesh. But look at verse 25. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. That is commitment right there. (laughs) Partners who stay with you. I think that this is a real issue that we have just in our person, in the things and the pains that we've gone through. I believe that all of us have had people that have let us down and let us go, you know, washed their hands and walked off. But I'm telling you that in koinonia, real partnership, koinonia, koinonia, there are people that will remain with you. I'm telling you that it should be hard for you to leave church, to leave this church. I want it to be hard on you because you have so many friends. You have so many people that you're connected with. I want it to be hard for your benefit, but also for ours. See, I think that when we are in a church body, we find our value. I'm, I'm close. We find our value. We realize that maybe we do have something that we can share. Because I want you to know that we cannot do this without you. We cannot do We have almost 50 leaders. Did you know that? Almost 50 people that are willing to serve you. Almost 50 people that say, hey, I have something to offer. I have something. I can help. I believe that that's what you find in koinonia. Value for who you are. Value for who God created you to be. And that is why I'm not telling you what koinonia looks like because I think that each one of you have something on the inside of you. And maybe five of you join together and have a little group because all of you have that same thing. You can call it Introverts United. <laughs> Last one. Partners who call you up. Verse 27 and 28. I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm like on the edge of extrovert, introvert, but not conversating. All right. Philippians 1.27. Whatever happens, listen to this. Partners who call you up. Whatever happens, verse 27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then when I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Again, verse 28, without being frightened. Remember, they were persecuted. They were being persecuted. So fear was a a much, much... uh, it's very real to us, too, but I want to say that it was frontline battle, okay? But whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Paul says, I'm going to challenge you. 
I'm going to challenge you that you can live a life worthy of the gospel. And let me tell you, right, Jesus said, they, you will, they will know you by your fruit. To stand firm in one spirit, to strive together as one for the faith, to live with no fear. Come on, I want to call you up into that. Will you let me? Maybe I can't be your best friend. Maybe we're separated stones on the wall, and that's okay. But someone here in this room will. Someone in this room can call you up. Someone can inspire you. So here's what I feel like we need to do. The question for you, the question for me, do we need to be devoted more to this thing called fellowship? Do we need to be devoted more to koinonia? I'm challenging you. Make it a priority in your life. Maybe just once a month. Start there. But I believe that we need to say yes to the Lord on this because it will give us the breakthrough that we're looking for. It will give us acts. It will give us the book of Acts. Yes. But I know that the Lord wants us to revisit. Do you want to come up now? Yeah, come on. The, the Lord wants us to revisit this word, fellowship. Sorry, guys, we were running late. It's the first one of the year. Yeah. <laughs> That's why. We've crammed a bunch in here. We have. Right? What a day. But I feel like the Lord wants us to revisit. Revisit the word engagement. Revisit the word koinonia. And because I know that a lot of you have walked through this over the years, and you have walked through pain because of it. Yeah. You have felt forced. You felt guilt tripped. You have felt, you know, like you didn't fit in to the all extrovert circle. I know I keep joking on it, but it's, I know it's real because I, honestly, I deal with it a lot in the ladies' ministry. And some of you ladies, you know who you are. You have overcome, and I'm so proud of you. But I feel like God wants us to pray over you today. I don't know. What do we want to do? Yeah. Any ideas? <laughs> I got a little idea. I feel like um, when we were. And honestly, when we do this, we try not to talk too much because we feel like the Holy Spirit wants to lead this. And we just kept coming to this place of engagement. And and, and then this morning, I heard the Lord say, re-engage. And I feel like there's some in here that just need to make a commitment to engage in fellowship. But I feel like there's some in here that need to re-engage at a new level, at a commitment. And, And not... And not just with your safe circle. Can I say that? I, I believe that there's a place where, that place of vulnerability where you just invite someone new to lunch. You know, and I, I, I want to just say this. A few years ago, we had people that we had made covenant with in our lives that just totally walked away completely. And it was rough. It happens. I, that's a that's an honest. I mean, it was it was like a punch in the face. Like, hey, I'm not going to talk to you ever again, and just walk away. And and as we've been talking about this, I begin to realize that there are places in all of us that have to reengage. You know, and just be willing to do it again. Be willing to someone to walk away again. And and the more we do that, I'm telling you, you're going to have more wins than losses. Because y'all know me, I'm gotta gotta get the dub, right? Get but the dub. but I, I feel like there's a place in here where too many of us have, have have a moment that set us back, and we have not reengaged. Yeah. 
And I and so here's here's I'm instead of asking everyone to stand up, if you just I, this is what I feel, and this is a this is not a force to. Oh, you feel too today. That's I do. I always it. feel. We're I'm feeling a healer. It. Uh, but if if you want to just say I'm gonna I'm gonna make a commitment to the Lord to Quantania, whatever that looks like, no pressure that it has to look like anything. I'm just gonna ask you to stand up. This is to engage, to re-engage, to recommit, to say this is who I am. Come on, if, if you want, if you want this koinonia, if you just say, "Man, I cho- I'm choosing koinonia this year, 2020." You're not choosing. Oh, you just <laughs> then you're in. That's my son. I can tell him to stand up. No pressure over there. <laughs> no, what I'm I want to be clear. It's not like that. If, if you're doing it, you're just saying I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah, if you're yeah, not yeah. doing it, say I'm going to I'm going to get on out there. If you say <laughs> I'm hurt and in pain and I don't want to do it, but I choose to allow the Holy Spirit to come in, yes. heal that place, and throw me into gear again, yes. then that's you. And because here's what I want to tell you: this I saw this if. If we'll choose this, it's going to bring such a unity in this place. Not that everyone has to agree on everything or look the same. Those are not unity. A unity to say where we're going, we're going together. And so here we are, Jesus. Here we are, Jesus. Eyes closed. If, if you've been hurt, we're going to take 30 seconds and do some healing here. That's good. In the, in the place of putting your heart out there in corner of the ear, you've been hurt and you want to be free today. I'm going to ask you to put your hand up. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. was the Holy Spirit's idea. Mm. It was the first thing they did after getting filled with the Holy Spirit. So we just ask you, Holy Spirit, come and where people have failed us. You've never failed because you are love. So come and just pour out your love into our hearts. Shed it abroad in our hearts, just like it says in Romans 5. Come and shed your love all around in our hearts right now and heal up. Yes, God. Heal up any places that say, I don't want to do this again. We just welcome you right in. And and to those that just feel like, I I can't do it, I want to tell you that the Holy Spirit can in you. Pray for it. Thank you, Jesus. God, I just pray for the revelation of community to hit us. Every one of us, God. I know that I don't have it figured out. We know that it's in your heart, and we know that we want to be devoted to it. So God, teach us. Teach us what it looks like. All parts of the body moving together as one, connected and intertwined with you in a beautiful display. God, that your bride, that your church would truly be a light. 
that people would see and want to be a part, that people would see and ask, how can I have that? Lord, I pray for hearts in here that we would feel inspired by what your word says koinonia produces and that we would pursue it. Lord, I pray that this year, 2020, would be a year of unraveling, of unpacking, of just opening the box on what you have for us in this area. Lord, we thank you that there's something for everyone in this place. There's something for everyone. I pray that people would find their value right here. We love you, Jesus. We love you. We share with you. You are our connection, Jesus. You brought us here. Thank you, God. I just pray you would bless our commitment, that you would bless these families as they go out today. We thank you, God for all you're doing. And we declare that 2020 will be our best year yet. Amen. Yeah. Let these guys know we love them. It's tough when that thing's looking at you, isn't it? (laughs) Let Elizabeth know that we love what she shares. Didn't she do excellent today? All right, so if you have not met Tim and Elizabeth, um, especially if you're new with us, then we'll be right out those double doors directly at the back. I'm going to ask the altar team to go ahead and come on up. If you need prayer for anything at all, we would love to pray with you today. Otherwise, have a blessed week. We'll see you Tuesday at prayer.